We'll begin reading from verse 1. The book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether man or woman, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Lord, we thank you so very much today for your love, for your mercy, for the beautiful reminders of your presence, of who you are. And Lord, today we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would open our ears, that we would hear your voice, that we would not just hear your preaching of, of the preaching of your word, but God, that we would be faithful respondents and doers of your word. Glorify yourself in these next few moments, God. Captivate our minds and our hearts. Remove all distractions and everything that would hinder us from living out the truths we're here today. We pray this in Jesus' good name, and everyone said... Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, please raise your hand, and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want to be sure that you are able to follow along um, in the introduction of the sermon as well. We want to be sure that you're able to take some notes. And as always, a reminder, you are a disciple of Jesus, and as a disciple of Jesus, you are called to make disciples. And so um, one of the ways that you can make disciples is by helping someone else understand God's word and so you can take this outline with you throughout the week set a time to sit down with someone and you can help them grow in their faith and as always I encourage you to do that because it will not only help them but it will help you as well I have learned that as I share God's word I learn it even more and so this morning we are continuing in our devoted series in the book of Acts and today we're going to talk about the fruit the fruit we talked about the foundation um, we talked about about the, 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 the foundation of the church, of us being together, right? We talked about us being together in prayer, us being together in God's word, us being together as the disciples. As we see in the book of Acts chapter 2, the church was together in the breaking of bread and the apostles' doctrine and prayers and fellowship. And so we have to be together. That's the foundation of our devotion. And then we saw the friction, right? The friction that was there. And today we're looking at a little bit more of the friction. However, we're not just looking at the friction that is going to be there, but we are also looking at the fruit of us being devoted. And so if you look at your outline there, the culture is in turmoil. 
I don't know if you have looked around. I, I, you know, I've been on Twitter um, this week a few more times than I normally am, and I get so discouraged when I get on there. You know, I see um, things from Christians, right? Christians saying stuff uh, that that just is not Christian. It's not biblical. It's not cool. It's not godly. It's not Christ-like, and and that to me is discouraging, right? Um, you you go into the political atmosphere. It's a mess, right? Turmoil all over the place. But here's what I want you to understand above all of this. And for those of you that are going through rooted with us, you should have gotten a real glimpse of this reality is that the church has the solution. The solution to the turmoil in our culture is the peace of God, the shalom of God, the wholeness of God that comes through us as we go out there as preachers and carriers of the message of the gospel. And so the thing that we realize is that we know this, we know this, and so grasp this with me, that peace from God is the result of peace with God, which is the fruit of the gospel. You cannot have peace with God. Listen, our culture is in turmoil primarily because of a rejection of the gospel. When you reject the gospel, guess what? You cannot have peace with God. When you reject the fact that God is good, that God is sovereign, that God is creator, that God is holy, when you reject the idea that you are not perfect, that you are a fallen person, that you are fallen by nature, that you are sinful, that your sin separates you from God, when you, when, when you can't recognize that, when you can't recognize that you're not as good as you think you are, there is an issue. And in our culture, we have this problem. Everybody wants to do their own thing, and so they reject the God that is good, the creator and sovereign ruler. They reject him because they're sinners, but they don't want to acknowledge that they are sinful, much less do they want to acknowledge what? That Jesus came and died. He died for us. He shed blood for us so that he could do what? So he could bring peace in a relationship that was broken. So he could bring peace between a relationship between man and woman who have been separated from their creator because of their sin. And the only way that we can have peace with God is by recognizing and acknowledging the gospel. And the beauty of the gospel, church, let me encourage you, is that when you bow the knee to Jesus, when you bow the knee to Jesus, there's no longer slave, right? There's no longer free. There's no longer Greek. There's no longer Jew. There's no longer male. There's no longer female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We now have a new identity. There are no second-rate citizens in the kingdom. You are a child of God. If you are born again, if you have put your faith in Christ, then guess what? You have peace with God. Therefore, you can be a vessel of peace from God. You can be a vessel of peace from God into this world that desperately, desperately needs that. And, here, and here's what we see in the book of Acts, just as we see in the early church, nothing, hear me when I say this, nothing could stop the gospel's impact on the culture. When we looked at the friction that was there last week, right? Nothing could stop the gospel. If you read through the gospel, there's some beautiful pictures that no matter what was happening, no matter what persecution arose, guess what? The gospel was never stopped. Church, you're sitting here today. I'm standing here today because of one thing, this gospel. This gospel that was never stopped. And I'll say it like this, today, the only thing that can stop the gospel's impact on the culture is a church that stops proclaiming it. Is a church that stops proclaiming it. I have this tweet here, and as I told you, I was on Twitter, and I read this tweet, and I thought that this tweet was pretty humbling as an American Christian. 
And, and this is what Jackie Hill Perry said. She said, for those of you not familiar with her, she does a, a lot of spoken word stuff. And she said this, she said, you ever been around a group of, te of bored teens? They always end up bickering over something silly like who had the remote. I think American Christians are like that, and it speaks to our privilege. There are millions of Christians being persecuted in other nations as we tweet. I'd imagine that they don't have the time to argue, nor are they as easily distracted by it as we are. They're committed to being faithful despite the possibility of it being a death sentence. We probably argue as much as we do because Christianity is too easy here. It makes us bored, prayerless, addicted to knowledge over intimacy. Let me say that again, addicted to knowledge over intimacy. We want to know everything, but are we really being intimate with our God? Are we really seeking him the way that we ought to, right? Are we really walking with him and living out his truth? Inev which inevitably breeds what? Division and lovelessness. It breeds division and lovelessness. And I love this. Our focus is off. Church, listen, if the shoe fits, wear it. If your focus is off, it's off. And what do we need to do? We need to repent because of what? Our enemies are not made of flesh. You're not my enemy. You're, you're not my enemy. No, listen, nobody on this planet is my enemy in the real sense of the word. There is one enemy. Of course I have enemies, right? Jesus said, I'm going to talk about it later. Jesus said to pray for our enemies. He wasn't talking about praying about spiritual forces. Hello. He was talking about praying for those who have made themselves an opposition to you, an opponent to you, those that don't like you, those that you're at odds with, you know, to pray for those people. But nonetheless, we know as believers, those are not the real enemies. There is an enemy behind them. There is spiritual forces that are behind them. And I want you to think about this this morning. If we will remain faithful, devoted is what this series is, the fruit is inevitable. We're talking about the fruit this morning. If we will remain faithful, if we will remain faithful, devoted unto God the way that we ought to be, then the fruit is inevitable. You can't stop the fruit of the gospel. You cannot stop it. Listen, the only thing that stops it is when you and I decide that we're going to be unfaithful. When we get caught up in things that don't really matter, in things that are not supposed to be the primary focus of the church, that is when we, ex we, we don't experience the fruit of the gospel in our lives and in our culture. We should be growing church in the knowledge of who God is, which should help us to grow in the solidity of our identity in Christ, which helps us to understand our purpose in this world, to be a light that shines in the midst of the darkness. I was listening to um, one of my professors, and he was talking about, we're talking about contemporary theology, and he, he was making a point of the beginning and in, in, in creation, and he said something that was so awesome, and he was pointing out that, you know, when scriptures were written, that People didn't obviously understand the science that we know today, right? Like the moon, you know, the way that there's this, these dust particles on the moon that allow this reflection to come, right? And there's this greater light, which is the sun. And then there is this moonlight that comes. And you know, it's funny because you know what shines in the darkness? It's the moonlight. You know what I realized when he was talking is that we are supposed to be those that are like the moonlight. Hello. We are supposed to be those who are reflecting the light of the sun, who are reflecting the light of the sun in the midst of the darkness of our world, in the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the confusion. Our lives should be shining brightly. We should not be eclipsed by the darkness in our world, but we should be a light that is shining brilliantly for the glory and for the honor of God. That, my, that, that is what God has called us, his church, to do, to be a light that shines. That is what it means to remain faithful church.
to remain faithful is for us to be a light. It is for us to be in the presence of God, for us to have an intimate knowledge of God, not a superficial knowledge of God, not just a, a, a degree in theology or whatever that may be, not just that, but to have an intimate knowledge of God where my life reflects the light of who Christ is in this world that desperately, desperately needs it. So please repeat this after me. Say, pray in faith for the salvation of the enemies of the faith. Pray in faith for the salvation of the enemies of the faith. And so verses one through nine, what do we have here? We have a retelling of what I think to be one of the greatest. When I say greatest, I mean this. This is not hyperbole. I believe one of the greatest miracles that we see in the scriptures in the book of Acts. It is the transformation of a guy who was, a, who, who was an adamant, passionate enemy of the gospel. He was an enemy of the church. I mean, this guy, I told you guys last week when we talked about the rulers, this guy was part of the political leadership of the nation of Israel at that time. And he had, he, had, he had letters, he had authority to go and take people from Damascus and bring them back to Jerusalem for what? For a vacation? No, for a hearing. Hello. To, to have a hearing about them spreading this false teaching. And Paul was an adamant. He was a person who was against this. And what do we find here in the gospel or, or in the book of Acts? Two things run parallel. Opposition to the gospel and the fruit of the gospel. Like on parallel tracks, you see opposition to the gospel all the way through. Opposite, when Paul, at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is still incarcerated, is he not? It, because what? There is opposition to the gospel. And yet, while he is incarcerated, what is he doing? We know this today. He's writing letters to the church. Not only is he writing letters to the church, but you know this guy was preaching to every one of the guards that was over him. You know that because of who he was. And so Paul is a preacher of the gospel. The church is continuing to flourish. But we see these two things. And what do we have? The beginning in the book of Acts chapter 2. We see the power of the gospel. The, the Bible says that, that Peter preached this message. After he preaches this message, 3,000 people get saved and baptized that day. The church is birthed. And from that time forward, as you continue reading, and listen, I encourage you to do it. At least once a year, read through the book of Acts. Let your faith be challenged as you read through there. And what do you find? You find in the book of Acts continual reminders, continual reminders that, hey, there was persecution, but guess what? There was also fruit. In the midst of that pressure, there was also fruit. You know, I always quote my dad, and I always say my dad told me, man, you can tell what is inside of a sponge not by looking at it, but by squeezing it. And it is the same thing when it comes to our lives. It is the same thing when it comes to the church. When you, you want to know what a church is about, you want to know what your Christianity is about, let's see what happens when you get squeezed. Let's see what happens when the pressure's on. Are you bearing fruit? Or are you buckling under the pressure? Are you bearing fruit? Or are you, a, are you cowering in the faith? Are you being choked up by the cares of this world? Are you being consumed by the persecution or the hardship that comes as a result of the gospel that you say that you believe? Jesus commands us to do what? He, he commands us to pray for our enemies. You think Saul was a great enemy of the church? Just look back really quickly with me. Look back to chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. I want you to see this. Chapter 8, 1 through 3, it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. Whose death is he talking about? Talking about Stephen. Read chapter 7. Not right now. It's pretty long. You, you won't be able to pay attention to me. But here's the thing. 
chapter 7 recounts a story of a man who was one of the first, what we may call one of the first deacons that was chosen in the church of Acts. And this guy starts preaching the gospel. By the way, he was preaching to the Greek-speaking Jews. Those are the ones that killed him. It wasn't just all the regular, you know, Jews that were there, the, the, the born Jews there. But this guy starts preaching the gospel. He confronts them with boldness. And guess who was standing there? And he is applauding them, saying yes. As they are stoning Stephen, Saul, who is a leader, obviously, in the church, is consenting to his death. Look what it goes on to say about him. It says, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church. They closed the doors. They went home, and that was the end of the story. Is that what it says? It isn't what it says here. It says, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of, of Judea and Samaria, and, and except for the apostles, and devout men carried Stephen's body to his burial, and Saul had great lamentation over him as Saul, and, and as for Saul, he made havoc for the church entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. I think that sounds like an enemy, does it not? He didn't like the church. He was opposed to the church. He was opposed to the gospel they were preaching. And when this persecution occurs, the scriptures show us that those, I love verse 4, right? In verse 1, it says there was this scattering that happened. But verse 4 shows us the fruit. It says, therefore, those who were scattered did what? They went everywhere and they preached the word. That's what they did. They didn't, they didn't get scattered and say, oh, man, we can't talk about this anymore. This might, this might cost us something. No. And they were scattered, and they preached the word of God. We know in verse 1 through 2 that we just read that Saul was definitely someone who was doing what? It's, this, is, this is a pretty intense description. And he was still breathing threats and murder against it. You think that's an enemy? And murder against the, the Lord, against the disciples of the Lord, and he went to the high priest. He gets letters from them, again, to bring them to the synagogues, to bring them back to Jerusalem, to try them so they can be found guilty. Big time this guy was an enemy. If you look down, just look to verse 13 in chapter 9. Verse 13, we're going to look at this again together. But just for this moment, then Ananias answered. Listen to Ananias' answer when God speaks to him. Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. This guy was an enemy of the gospel. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I don't even know that the church was really praying for this guy's salvation. I don't have any idea. I don't know. I would assume they would. I don't know, though, because it doesn't say that. But I'm telling you that when we look at the text, you know what we can do? We can be encouraged in our faith to believe that those people that are the most, uh, the, the most uh, uh, oppositional to the church, that those people can become great voices. I've told you all before, when I think about the atheists like Matt Delahunty or Bill Mayer and these guys, man, I pray for them. Every single time I see these guys, whenever they pop up on my feed somewhere, I pray, even if it's just for a moment, I say, God, save them. God deliver them. Why do I pray that? Because I know these guys hate Christianity. If they get saved, guess what a voice they will be for Christianity. If they give their life to Christ, if they encounter the Lord, I mean, you know how many people they have influenced to reject Christianity? How many people they have influenced to turn away from the gospel, to turn away from the truth of Scripture? If these guys get saved, my question is, church, do you believe God can save those people? Do you believe God can deliver those people? Because when I look at a life by the, uh, uh, like Paul's life, Saul's life here, when I look at his life, I'm like, man, if God can do it for Saul, he can do it for anybody. If he can deliver, if he can deliver Saul, he can deliver anybody. And so we pray for those types of people to get saved. I remember years ago, 
a couple years ago in a prayer service, we were praying in here. And I remember at that time, we were praying. And as we're praying, we prayed this many times. We pray for, you know, those people in the industries and, and, you know, artists and stuff like that. We pray for them to get saved, do we not? And we crowd to God and we believe that. And church, let me tell you something. Core faith is not some exception to the rule. I can assure you there are plenty of people out there that are praying that artists get saved and people get delivered. And guess what? Just the other day, this guy by the name of Kanye West, you heard of him, right? Y'all know who that is. He's pretty popular, I would say, right? Some of y'all might know about him, right? Anyway, Kanye West gets saved, right? Apparently, it seems like he got saved. And, 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 every, and, and, and people are, like, scared, like, oh, I don't know if Kanye said. Listen, let me tell you something. I, I want you to think about when you got saved. Think, of, think about when you got saved. See, because when I think about when I got saved, I thank the Lord Jesus there weren't cameras on me. I thank God that there wasn't somebody on my life all the time. Okay, what are you doing there, Jason? What are you doing? What's going on? What are, you doing? are you living perfect? Are you, are you saying everything? I said some stupid stuff when I was a baby in the Lord. You know what the difference was? Nobody knew who I was. Hello? Nobody knew me. I didn't have some public platform where people knew who I was. That's the only difference. You know what y'all are seeing? What I hope we're seeing. And because I can't guarantee anything, right? At the end is when we're going to know all of this stuff. But what, I, what I'm hoping is that we're seeing a baby in the Lord who is growing in their faith. You know what the problem is? Here's the problem now. Here's the problem. The problem is we want him to shut up because he sounds funny sometimes. Because he doesn't say things exactly like we want him to say it. Listen, let me say this really quickly. He shouldn't be your pastor. Hello. <laughs> Let me say it again. He shouldn't be your pastor. He shouldn't be the one you go to for doctrine. He shouldn't be the one that you go to for spiritual counsel. But you know what? Somebody gets saved in here today. You know what I want you to do? I want you to go tell all your friends about Jesus. And you know what Kanye's doing? Telling all his friends about Jesus. I didn't even know this. I put this in my notes. I didn't realize that his record was going to come out like yesterday or the day before, whatever the case is. I didn't realize that he was, I didn't even know the guy, because I'm not following this. The only thing that happened to me was I saw, you know, a bunch of, you know, people, and I won't name any names because it doesn't really matter, but I saw a bunch of people criticizing the guy and coming against this and that and the, and the third, and I was like, okay. But then one day they did an interview with the actual pastor that was preaching at one of his Sunday services, and they did an interview with this guy, and listen, when I say they did an interview, I say they, I mean like the guys that are like the heresy hunter kind of guys, and they sat down with him, and they were like, hey, man, so tell us about what you believe first. Let's talk about what you believe, and so they gave him a thumbs up up they're like yep you believe right because they believe every he believes everything that they believe and then they went from there and then they asked him about you know their whole situation with Kanye and you know what the pastor did with Kanye Kanye was sitting in the back of their church and I share this because I want you to understand we should pray for this guy you know why because if he is really sincere which I, I'm not going to doubt that he is you know how many people are going to be exposed to the gospel do you know how many people you and I will never, ever reach, and yet they're going to be introduced to singing some songs? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been singing some songs, all of a sudden you start crying, you don't even know why, you're in church, you're like, just bawling. God begins to do something in the atmosphere. God begins to change. Why can't God do that through him? Oh, because he doesn't have enough theology yet? Come on, man. I mean, think about this. I mean, again, I just look at myself in the mirror, and I'm like, hey, I know me. I know I was saying something. I thought I was the man. Hello. <laughs> I, th I, thought about, I thought I was the man in the sense that, man, I was serious about Jesus. I was in my Bible. I was pursuing God with all of my heart, everything inside of me. And I remember meeting with one of my mentors right when we started this church. You know what my mentor said to me? He's like, he was talking to how to conversation. He's like, well, you know how Jason was. And I'm like, what? You know how Jason was. I'm like, time out, bro. I'm like, Jason was all about that word. I'm like, Jason was all about prayer, all about seeking God. You know what it was, though? Jason still had a bunch, a bunch of rough edges on his life. 
As much as he loved Jesus, anyway, the pastor goes on and he says, he's talking to Kanye West after his service and he has this whole conversation with him. He sits down with him and he starts walking through the scriptures with him. And Kanye's like, man, I believe everything that you're saying. Why you keep asking me this? I'm ready. I want to follow Jesus all out. The, the, the pastor's been, you know, traveling to help disciple the guy and stuff like that. And so anyway, I use this as an example, church, because those are what we would call impossible situations. We want to see these people get saved. We want to see people that have influence get saved for what reason? So they can bring glory and honor to God and shine a light in the world. And then we can do a, we can just be there as part of that because we are part of what God is doing. I'm not talking about being in the shadow of Kanye we are in listen we are not in the shadow of anyone Christ is the one who is reigning and ruling is he not he is the king whose shadows we are in the same way the moon and the sun we shine not Kanye's light we shine Christ's light hello that's what we are called to do to shine the light of the gospel and so praying for those impossible cases and listen I'm not even telling you because I think I was an impossible case hello talk to my grandma and my mom when they come to next service and ask them about me I think I was a pretty tough case. I, I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I didn't want to come to church. I didn't have any desire to follow the Lord. And yet God graciously saved me and delivered me. And so now I preach the gospel. I live for his glory. I would tell all of my friends stuff. Listen, let me tell you something. Can, 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 I'm going to confess one more thing and I'm going to move on from this. Before I confess this to you, let me just say this because I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm about to say. I am not telling you to do what I did. Are you here? This is one of those dumb things that if someone would have had a camera on me, they'd have been like, what, what is wrong with this dude? I used to literally, this is going to sound crazy to y'all, I used to literally ride with my friends in the car. I would roll their marijuana for them. I would sit in the car while they were fogging up, and if, if you smoke, you know what that is. If you don't, don't worry about it. I would sit in the car with them. while they would, I wouldn't smoke, and I would preach to them. And I would witness to them and tell them about what I was dealing with. You think that that looked right? You think that that looked holy? You think I would do that today? Hello, somebody. I wouldn't do that today. I know better. Then I didn't know any better. And so, church, we need to pray for people. I'm going to get to the messiness of discipleship in a moment. But anyway, we must pray. Listen, church, we must pray for our legislators. We must pray for the anti-Christian organizations. We must pray for anyone who's opposed to biblical values bearing weight within the culture, who oppose the narrow way, which is Jesus, or who are sworn enemies, God-haters, and rejectors of the absolute truth found in Scripture. We must pray for them. Get, get upset. Vote them out. Whatever you got to do but here's what I'm saying pray for their souls pray for their salvation pray for their deliverance the other day I saw that movie unplanned you go watch that movie that movie listen I don't care where you are on the spectrum of pro-choice pro-life listen watch that movie and see how this woman's life was changed by just faithful Christians. Not, and, and listen, I want to point this out. It wasn't the crazy, loud ones that were making all kind of noise. No, it was the ones who were there loving God. It was the ones who were there being signed. I was telling Tracy before I left, I don't know if I told you guys this, but I said, man, we should get shirts made and say there's another choice and just stand outside of abortion centers and just let women that are going in there need someone to talk to. There's another choice. There's another one. There's a different one. Not just the one that you may think there is. There's another one. And so, yeah, I'm pro-choice in that sense. I want people to choose God's way, amen? That's it there. But here's the thing. Being faithful, praying for them, God can do it. God can bring deliverance. I love that. I love the reality of what God does in Paul's life. Second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, recognize God's work and rejoice with caution. <laughs> that sounds funny, right? Recognize God's work, rejoice with caution. 
Sounds like explicit lyrics or something, right? Listen, recognize God's work. Rejoice in what God is doing. Be cautious. Be cautious. Don't just think, listen, I've dealt with plenty of people. They seem like they're walking with the Lord, and then all of a sudden they go off the deep end. They don't continue on. They don't persevere in the faith. And so I have to be cautious. I have to rejoice, right? I have to be grateful, but I also need to be cautious. I need to recognize. And so that's what the church does here as you continue reading. Look with me in verse 10. And verse 10 tells us this. It says, now when, now there was a certain disciple of, the Damasc, of Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And I love this. I just want to pause for a moment. I want you to notice what happens here. The Lord said, this wasn't like the guy ate some bad pizza or something like that, and he had like some kind of wild dream. This guy's having a conversation with the Lord, right? This is what happens here. The Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, now listen, this conversation, here I am, Lord. He's like, I'm acknowledging God is speaking to me. He goes on and he tells him. So the Lord said, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. And I read this earlier, but just see it again in its context. Then Ananias answered, Lord. Now, hold on a second. He's having a conversation with the Lord, right? Like, he's talking to God. God is saying, I want you to go do this. And he's like, Lord, hold on a second. You might have got this wrong. Like, God, I think you might have got your lines twisted, right? Like, maybe you missed something here. Like, like, this is what Ananias is saying. Maybe you don't know who this guy is. Maybe you don't know what, I'm at, what, what you are asking of me. Maybe, I don't know. And so Ananias goes on. He says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. You know what I love here is that God doesn't say, oh, my goodness, stop talking to me like that. But you know what God does in a relational sense? He confronts his son with truth, and he tells him this. He says, but the Lord said to him, go. For he is my chosen vessel, oh, he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul's got it messed up, does he not? Huh. He's going to learn all the things he has to suffer. And Ananias went his way and, and, and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. I like this too, the way that he does this. It's like really cautious. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus... <laughs> who appeared to you on the road as you came. Hello. He's like, I want, I want to make this crystal clear, bro. I am coming in peace, right? Like I am coming with the shalom, the one who brings shalom, right? Who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In, uh, Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Look at this. Immediately. Say immediately. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues. Now let me tell you something. Paul, Saul, he's got one up on a lot of us, okay? He knew the scriptures front and back. He knew the Old Testament Bible front and back. So for him to immediately go in there to the synagogues, understand what he did. He's going like in here and saying, yo, can I preach today? Hello. <laughs> can, I, can I go ahead and share some stuff? This is what he does. That's not cool for anyone like most of us. Like most of us weren't raised knowing the Bible. 
the Apostle Paul, who is not an apostle yet, he does. He has this background, right? He has this background. But he immediately preaches the Christ in the synagogues. What did he preach? He preached the Christ, that he is the Son of God. That is what Paul does. He immediately begins to preach the Christ. And look at this. Look at this. I love this part. Then all who heard were amazed. They were shocked. They were like, hold on, what's going on? Right? They're looking at, they're like, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? Can I tell you something, church? We need to start praying that God shocks us. We need to, as I, as I was reading, we need to start praying that God shocks us. You can write this down if you're taking notes. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. The apostle Paul's writing there, the guy that we're talking about right now, he writes to the church of Ephesus. And when he writes to them, he tells them this. He says, and God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in him and that works in us. To him be the glory forever in the church. Amen. Right? So here's the thing. What is he saying? He says, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above. Say above. Above all that we can. In other words, God is able to shock us just like he did here. These people are being faithful. They're seeking the Lord. They're crying out to God. The problem with us is that, you know what, we have a spouse, this safe, comfortable, convenient Christianity. And so we don't want our, fe our feathers to be ruffled. We don't want to be taken out of our comfort zone. But what did God do here? God blew the minds of the Christians in Damascus. He saved a man who hated Christians. He hated those who were of the way. He thought they were heretics. He thought they were false teachers. He thought that they were proclaiming a false truth. And, and, and so he was opposed to them, and yet God saved him. And you know what? Collectively, they didn't know what to do with him. They didn't know what to do with this guy. And as we're going to see in a moment, it wasn't just the church of Damascus, but it's also the church in Jerusalem. They didn't know what to do. And let me say this. They were right to be cautious. They weren't right to be fearful. They were right to be cautious. They were not right to be fearful. It is important for you to ask questions. It is important for you to, to, to dig in. It's important for you to be prayerful in your consideration of anything that you hear, of any person who comes in the church, whether they're born again yesterday or if they've been saved all their life. It is important that you get to know those who labor among you, right? It's important to know them. Don't just assume because they clap their hands because they lift their hands, because tears may run down their face, because they know some of the things of the faith. Don't just assume stuff. But listen, don't walk around fearful. Why? Because if we live in fear and overly question everything we see God doing, we will never see the fullness of God's plan manifested in our time. We'll never see it. If we, never, if we never walk by faith and say, okay, God, I want to be in on what you're doing. There are people, listen to me now. There are people God has already, listen to me, church. There are people that God has already prepared for you to go and speak to, and they're just waiting on your arrival. They're just waiting on you. They are just waiting on you to come to them with a word from God. What do you mean a word from God, Bishop? Here's what I mean a word from God. Either a scripture that is communicating directly to their life or a word that is burdening your heart for them to communicate and point them back to Christ. That's what I'm saying by a word from God. A burden for them. Where Ananias goes, he's seeking the Lord, obviously. He has this vision, and God speaks to him, and he goes and he brings deliverance to Paul. He brings that next step to Saul's life. And so, church, we have to be the same way. God, who do you want me to speak to? 
Who is there that you have for me to communicate with? Listen, I firmly believe God still speaks today. I firmly believe the Bible tells us Paul, the Apostle Paul, he wrote these words, those who are sons of God will be led by the Spirit of God. And so that's a relational thing. God wants to lead us to make impact in lives. Hear me when I say this. Some of the greatest defenders of the faith will be the greatest deniers of Christianity. Some of the greatest defenders of the faith will be the greatest deniers of Christianity. Look at Josh McDowell. Look at Lee Strobel. Josh McDowell, he was an agnostic who was devoted to doing what? To disproving the scriptures. And you want to know what happened? When he went to disprove the scriptures, he found the scriptures were provable. Hello. He turned to Christ, and now he's got books out there, and he's done. Go, go look at his testimony. It is amazing, powerful testimony. More Than a Carpenter is one of his most famous books that he's written there. One of the defenders of the faith. Lee Strobel, his wife got saved. He was an avowed atheist. He's like, I need to shut this woman up. Hello about this Jesus. And so you know what? I'm going to study her Bible and I'm going to show her that this is not real. Guess what? Today, the case for Christ, the case for Christianity, the case for Christmas. He's writing all kinds of cases. The guy was a lawyer. Hello. <laughs> He's arguing for the faith. Listen, y'all, these are people that we would have never thought were going to get saved. These are people that are now defenders of the faith. These are people that are voices for the faith. We need to have some faith that God can save some folks. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this, and this point will be short. Say, be willing to engage in the messiness of disciple-making. Be willing to engage in the messiness of disciple-making. Listen. Disciple-making is messy. Why? Why is disciple-making messy? Because it is the cleaning up of a life of sin. Hello? <laughs> you know what we want? We want people, this, this, I, I legitimately believe this. Some of us, we get so saved, we're like oversaved. Hello? We forget how, 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 how much filth was on us when we came to Christ. Listen, I'm guilty. I forget sometimes about, man, I was not, I mean, come on, man, I still got a long way to go. Hello? Let me, let, let me not think more highly of myself than I ought to. But some of us, like, we want people, this is legitimately what we want. We want people to make a confession to Christ on Sunday and then on Monday, them walking on water. Hello. That's what we want. I told you all my story. I got saved on Friday. I called my friend on Saturday. Another crazy, stupid thing. Hello. Drive me to Sanford to buy a bag of weed. You know what I did all the way going to buy a bag of weed? This is another one of the things don't do. Hello. <laughs> I'm preaching to the guy about what just happened to me last night. When I get out of the car, you know what he says? Man, I got to go back to church. Now think about that. God uses the foolishness of this world to confound the wise. I'm that, that, listen, that's not like an evangelistic approach I use today. Hey, go take me to buy a bag of weed. I'm, I mean, come on, man. Right? Like, like, I didn't know any better. Right? Like, I know better now. And some of us, we don't realize, man, people are babies in the Lord. If you're really about the Father's work, if you're really about disciple-making, people are, that weren't raised in the church, guess what? They don't know how to act. Don't expect them to know like tomorrow. They're not. You know what they need? They need you. They need me to make disciples of them. And not make them like us. Make them more like Jesus. Because let me say something. There's some of us, we, we, we're not radical anymore about Jesus. I told someone this the other day. I, 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 was, I was not kidding either. And listen, church, when I say this, please don't walk out on me. Just being honest. But I was talking about being in youth ministry. And I said, man, I would be a youth pastor over being a lead pastor any day. I know y'all are really offended right now. But you know why? Because we get old. You know what we get? We get real busy. You go and you get a youth ministry on fire. Guess what happens? They ain't got nothing to do except serve Jesus. Hello. 
They're still being molded. You've got 19 excuses why you can't follow the Lord the way that he wants. You know what they don't? They're like, I'm going on a mission trip right now. Hey, can, can you give me some money so I can go? Yeah. That's it. That's all. That's all. Can you give me some money so I can go? They're going to raise money. Like, that's all. That's it. Like, they're, they're, they're all in for Christ. Adults, can I tell you something? We need to go back to that place. That we're all in for Christ. We need to stop running after these other things and be all in for him. And let him use us in order to make disciples. We have to learn, listen church, we have to learn to be guarded while we're guided. We have to learn to keep our hearts in check. We have to learn to make sure that we are not falling back into old ways as we are making disciples. If that's a problem, then man, you need to check yourself. You need to get some accountability in your life. But you need to be walking in the faith to the degree that you can walk with someone who has bad habits and you don't pick up those bad habits. That you're walking with someone who is not there yet, who is, who, who is a little further away from being there yet than you are, because you ain't there yet either. Hello. But that you can walk with them and walk them through the messiness. Barnabas, Barnabas provides us, let's look really quick, verse 26 to 31. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, so between verse 25 and verse 26, just so you know, there's a three-year gap here because Saul didn't go directly to Jerusalem. There's a three-year gap in this time period. And so Saul comes, if you read the book of Galatians, you'll see he talks about going to the desert and he was there for three years before he came to Jerusalem. And it says, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Look at this now. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe he was a disciple. It's funny because I remember when we brought, um, we brought a lot, um, I can't remember his last name right now, but um, Elijah Abraham, we brought him, and he was a guy who was a believer, and he was, a, he, he, was, he was raised in a Muslim family, and I mean, this guy was so deep in stuff, and he knows some stuff, and I remember somebody said to me, man, I'm a little nervous, like, maybe he's a plant. Like they, like, like they thought, like, what, what, what if he's not, like, legit? Like, what if he is, you know, someone who is, like, you know, uh, you know, just, just in there as a spy or something like that. And then, and I was like, yeah, I said, it could be. I mean, I didn't think that of him, but I'm just saying, like, that, th those things can happen. Those things can occur. And so, but we can't be governed by fear, can we? Because you know what we do? Then we box ourselves in. Then we're like, I really can't reach because that might, that, listen, we're all going to die someday. I'm not saying walk into death, hello. I'm not saying run that way. I'm just saying we need to consider this. So anyway, so they're, they're afraid of him because they know about him. They haven't forgotten about him. But Barnabas took him and brought him where? To the apostles. He brings him to the leadership that is there. I want you to know in discipleship, leadership is so important. When you're not sure about something, there's a reason why God calls elders. There's a reason why God has leaders in the church. So you can come to them to confirm certain things. And what does Barnabas do? He brings Paul or Saul to the, elder, to, to the elders that are there at that point, And he declared to them, this is Saul, he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so all of these things must have affirmed to the apostles that they were good to go, that he was good to go. So he was with them at Jerusalem. Jerusalem coming in and going out. They gave him the right hand of fellowship. We know this also from the book of Galatians. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now look at that. They could have just kicked this guy out and been like, man, you don't belong as part of us. Instead, he speaks boldly in the name of Jesus, disputing against the Hellenists, but they did what? They attempted to kill him. Paul is always about to be killed. You read this. When the brethren found out, what did they do? They brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Now look at this. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were what? Multiplied. 
If they would have walked in fear, they would have never seen what God wanted for them to see. If they wouldn't have trusted what God was doing, if they wouldn't have understood that it was messy. Here's the thing. The fruit of messy disciple making is worth the risk. The fruit of disciple making is worth the risk. Well, what did Barnabas do? Barnabas took a risk, did he not? He took a risk by taking Paul. Paul took a risk by preaching the gospel. My question for you is, what are you risking for Christ? What are you risking for Christ? Where is your Christianity costing you your life? Where is it costing you your life? Think about that. Because all the Christians that we see in the book of Acts, their Christianity was costing them. Where is it that you are risking? Let me ask you this. Where is it you think God is calling you to risk? I love this quote. There's a guy by the name of Jim Elliott. Some of you may know who he is. He, I believe he's, um, the movie is called The End of the Spear, if I'm not mistaken. And it's about his life. Jim Elliott, he was a missionary. And he, he, and he, he, was, he was a missionary for um, him and four of his friends. They went. To, uh, not on a missionary trip, they went on this missionary journey. And when they went on this missionary journey to Ecuador, they went to these Indians that w didn't know anything. I mean, I, I don't know if this part is true, but in the movie, they're like throwing spears at the plane and all kind of stuff like this. I mean, these people were indigenous, like they didn't know anything of civilization. At the end of the story, what ends up happening is he, they end up getting killed because these people feared them rather than trusting them. But he has this one quote that is, is very popular. You may have heard it before. He said this in his journal, and it actually show a picture of his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who will give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He wasn't talking about eternal life because we know our life eternal is secured in Christ. He was talking about the eternal rewards. Those eternal rewards cannot be taken away if we give our life for him. But if we're not risking anything, then we're not gonna see anything. So my closing question is this, are you devoted to being faithful? Are you devoted to being faithful? So I'll stand on our feet and let's pray together. Father, today we come and we thank you so much for your love, for your grace. We thank you for the abundance of your mercy, for the example that we have in the first church of bold witnesses for you. Lord, you call us to be faithful, not because we want the fruit, but because we want to honor you. And so, Lord, search our hearts this morning. You know what is hindering us from being faithful. For those, Lord God, that are being faithful, for those who are all in, who have put their hand to the plow, who have not turned around, who are part of that laboring force that you have, who are disciple makers, God, encourage their faith this morning. Strengthen their faith this morning. For those, though, in this room, Lord God, who are not being faithful, who have not committed themselves 100% to following you in your ways, God, grip their hearts this morning. Let them walk out of here with a gnawing in their soul that they need to align themselves with you. And God, for those in this place that may not know you, Lord Jesus, may you draw their hearts to you that they may come to know your peace, know your love, and be a light that shines in the midst of a dark, dark world. Father, we thank you for this, and we praise you for these things. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, come on and give the Lord a hand of praise.